I am so excited that y'all are here, and I'm really excited to welcome today to the podcast a woman who literally stole Jesus. If you are not yet familiar with Jamie Amarine, you're going to love her after this episode. But before we get to that, I want to know, are you loving this podcast? Let us know. Leave a review or send an email through our website. We love hearing what your favorites are, the topics you want us to cover, or any suggestions you might have. We're always so grateful when you guys take the time to encourage us and give us some feedback. Also, wherever you are listening, take a screenshot of your phone. And if you're in your car, wait till you're stopped. And then tag us at WeAreDeclare and hashtag DeclarePodcast and let us know that you're joining in today. You never know if you're going to see your screenshot on our story. Guys, I have talked so much about how important our sponsors are to us because they make what we do possible for you. So I just want to give a big shout out today to Winton and Waits. They are a story forward lifestyle brand. They provide a curated line of accessories and home goods that are intentionally designed to tell a story and sold to create a positive impact in our community and around the globe. You can be an impact maker by committing to a lifestyle that chooses to purchase products that make a difference. You can shop in their retail store that's located in Fort Worth, Texas, or online at their website, and I'll put that link in the show notes. And all of the goods that you purchase give back, and you can find out more about that on their website. They're also launching a new fundraising program this fall, which gives like-minded, cause-driven people like us an opportunity to use the products as an avenue to raise money for things like mission trips or nonprofits or volunteer efforts or adoptions or any worthy cause. Together with Winton and Waze, we all can make a difference. In our last episode, I talked with Nikki Koziars. She's the author of Five Habits of a Woman Who Doesn't Quit and Why Her. Nikki and I talked about the difference between quitting and finishing, how to recover when you're hurt by the church, fears that keep us all awake at night, overcoming comparison, how to drop the ball with style, and so much more. That is episode number 87, so make sure you add that one to your queue. But today we're on episode number 88 with Jamie Amarine. Jamie is an accidental author with a story so wild that it can only be God. We talk about her story, viral posts, getting death threats, that's real, and being generous with each other. Plus, we talk about her newest book and tons more. She is fun and profound at the same time. So get ready. Here is my conversation with Jamie. Hey, Jamie, I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. I've been looking so forward to this and the timing is perfect because you have a new book coming out. Yes. Um, Yes. I'm so excited about this and we're going to talk about that. But, you know, I just don't know if all of our community uh, has met you yet. And so I thought I would just start by asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe a little bit about your story. And I would love for you to touch on a little bit of how you literally stole Jesus. Okay. So my name is Jamie Amarine, and I am married to Justin for 26 years, I think. And we live recently moved to North Houston, which he had never lived anywhere but in the Abilene area. So that was a big leap for him. We have six children. Maggie is 23, and she's married and runs an embroidery shop out of her home. And then John is our marine baby, and Luke is our hippie baby. And John is 20, Luke is 18. Sophie's 16. She's our resident genius. And then we started all over with foster care and adoption. And we have adopted Sam, who's now six, and Charlie, who's now four. In my online community, they are known as the hashtag vandals because they vandalize things. They're funny little guys. So so the two little ones are the vandals. The two, yes. Okay. Now there's the originals and then the vandals. Oh, <laughs> so, I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And I get plenty of emails from people going, don't speak that over them. And I just always go, I'm not, I'm just telling you they've destroyed the toilet or whatever, but they're hilarious. They have brought us so much joy and laughter. It's a blast. It's also tiring. And there's a reason that people don't have children in their late, little children in their late forties and they're instead called grandchildren, but <laughs> they keep us, <laughs> they keep us young. So that's fun. And I am by all accounts, an accidental author and I love it and I sometimes don't love it, but it's actually been a wild ride. It's been really actually very fun. 
And my first book was called Stolen Jesus, An Unconventional Search for the Real Savior. And it originally in my very first manuscript was just a chapter called Stolen Jesus because I literally stole Jesus several years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Several years ago, I was teaching a spin class at a local nonprofit. Well, I guess by now everybody knows it was a YMCA. And I came out of spin class and there was, had always since I'd ever been there, been this picture of Jesus when you first walked in and it was gone and there was a dry erase board there. And I just looked at the receptionist and I said, where the heck is Jesus? And she said, oh, management thinks he's too old fashioned. So we moved him. He's behind the filing cabinet. And I went and clocked out and I took him home and hung him over the mantle. And we referred to him as stolen Jesus. And um, it was really cool because, I mean, like my husband has a Catholic background. So all the Jesuses, you know, there's baby Jesus, and then there's crucified Jesus, resurrected Jesus, and now there's stolen Jesus. And so that's just what we refer to him as. And I'm crazy about him. I sit and talk to him. He's very calm. He doesn't ever react to my overreactions. And when my agent, Jesse Kirkland, read that, she just went, I think that's a book. And I was like, it's literally a chapter. It took like five minutes out of my life. And she went, I want you to really pray about it and think about it. And I just started writing, and all of a sudden there was stolen Jesus, and then there was Mormon Jesus, fifth grade Jesus, high school Jesus, Catholic Jesus, Americanized Jesus, and there it went from there. And it ended up being the story of my freedom and falling into the arms of the real Jesus and the message of grace, which I had, I know it seems silly, but never heard. I was a works-based Christian. I thought I was catching up to the cross or earning it paying it back, paying it forward, whatever it took. And it's my favorite story. And he was stolen from me by others, by things I made up in my mind, by all the things. But when I came face to face with him, um, his realness and the magnificence of knowing him has left me utterly undone and forever grateful. It is such a powerful story. And I love your perspective on it. I've read the book, and I recognized all those different versions of Jesus, and I thought it was such a great take on it. But I want to go back to how you said that you were an accidental author. Because I (laughs) think you say on your website somewhere that you refused to start a blog in the beginning. And I just kind of want to talk about that journey with you a little bit. Like, what do you mean? And how did all of that change? Sometimes I don't like to tell this story because I think that there's probably somebody out there that goes, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding. It was that odd because it it's odd. It's an odd story. Yeah, but I think the odd stories are the <laughs> ones that you know are from God, right? Like yeah. only God could have done this. So Yeah, well, yeah. So we were foster parents and we had a foster placement. I only ever wrote, and it wasn't really writing. It was literally the stupid stories that I enter into my blog now that they were just little Facebook blurbs on just a regular Facebook page. And I'd be like, just tell stupid stories about something the boys did, the older boys did. This is before the vandals. And um, knocked the chandelier down or, you know, can't find the cheese. Where's the cheese? It's on my nightstand. Keep the cheese. You know, stuff like that. And, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and people thought it was funny. And I had fun doing it, but it wasn't, I wasn't writing anything. And so we were at a basketball game. And when we got home for the basketball game, I had like six messages on my phone. I checked them and it was our caseworker. And she was like, you guys get your pictures off Facebook. I mean, they were freaking out. So I get on Facebook and somebody has taken pictures of us holding this foster placement and tagged us. We need more families like Justin and Jamie Amarine in the foster care system. And you can see the baby's face. You can see us. And you're not allowed to expose foster children like that. And of course, it wasn't done maliciously, but it was about to cost us this placement and our license. And I just went, I can't do social media. It's just too risky. It's not worth it. We worked too hard to get our foster care license. So I got off Facebook. And then about two or three weeks after that, we got the flu and I had no voice, really bad sore throat. I didn't have Facebook. I didn't really have a network of friends. We'd recently left our church. Um, I just was very alone. And I said, Justin, can I borrow your laptop? And he said, yeah. And I sat down and in nine days, I wrote 60,000 words and I titled it Sacred Ground Sticky Floors. 
And I gave it to my parents who knew somebody that was in publishing. And he said, send her to Mount Hermon Christian Writers Conference. So the, I wrote it in December. In March, we took it to the, this is March of 2015. I took it to Mount Hermon's Writers Conference. I met with several people. Um, one guy who said, I'm not, you're not funny and I don't get it. Two or three other agents that were interested but needed a platform. And then two publishers that were interested but also said I needed a platform. And I did not know what that was. Like I was so green about all of it. So um, I went back to my room. I want to say it was Kathy Eyed, Judy Morrow, and John Van Hoff all just were like, you need to come talk to me. I've gotten an idea. This needs to be published. And I met with them and they said, you need to start a blog and a Facebook page. And I was like, nope, I'm just not going to do that. And Kathy, I'd said, you're not leaving here until you start a blog. So I opened one on my phone and don't do that. Just FYI, forgiven writer tips, do not open your blog <laughs> on your phone because it will be a red hot mess. Okay. And, <laughs> I'm going to write that um, down. <laughs> <laughs> never, ever do that. And I went back home and I put up maybe three or four posts Got in trouble again with the foster care system for one of the posts that was totally harmless, but the child that we had at the time's parents somehow read it and they reported us. It literally said nothing. I think it was actually something about the boys chasing each other with knives or something. And they were like, they're a dangerous home. And I was like, of course we're a dangerous home. What's wrong with you? (laughs) I I, I love that you're all like, it was nothing. The boys were just chasing each other with knives. Like, hmm. Okay, you what? might get some emails that? about that. I, I don't know. Who doesn't have that happen, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anyway, so I thought, I'm done with this. But I was in love with writing. So I sat down, and in nine days, I knocked out 60,000 words, and I titled it Levitus, which is Latin for wicked. And it was this fiction book. Then in September, I took it to the ACFW, and I thought, well, you know, if I can't, surely you don't have to have a platform for fiction, because it's fiction. And I was wrong about that. But I sat down with an agent, Jesse Kirkland. And I said, here's this. And she said, I'll take it back to my room. And the next morning she went, I'm not interested in this, but you're really funny. You should blog. And I was like, funny. You should say that. I do. This is like the, maybe the week before my birthday on September 26th of 2015. We're still in 2015. And I went home and we went to a dance recital and on my phone again, do not do this. I posted a blog post while I was holding a foster baby. And I titled it an open letter to my children. You're not that great. You don't have to go read that. I think (laughs) I have read this. (laughs) You probably have, but it's not my best work. It's actually one of those things where people bring it up and you're like, oh, because it was a rant. That's all it was. But at the time I had 65 subscribers to my blog. So I'm thinking the 65 people I know are going to read this and go, oh, there's Jamie ranting and raving. So that was September 25th that I put it up. September 26th was my birthday. And my phone kept making this noise, ding, ding, ding. And my husband was like, what is that? And I said, oh, I'm sure it's just birthday alerts. And my daughter said, mom, that's not a Facebook alert. And I pulled out my phone. And I said, oh, something's wrong with my blog. And he said, what? And I said, it's number one. And he said, where? And I said, the world. And it was. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you went to write something's wrong with my blog. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I thought it was a virus or something like that. So I started looking. It bounced down the next day to like number three and then back up. But I went from 65 reads a month to 650,000 overnight. And then by the end of October, over a million with three other viral posts. And Jesse signed me the day after my birthday. So you are a literal overnight success. Well, okay. Let me doing things you recommend. No one does. Don't don't do it. (laughs) So here's one of the biggest problems with, viral posts, which for one thing, virility anymore on Facebook because of the algorithm is so much harder. Unless you have a large following, you sometimes hit hit that. But if you have a viral post and you're watching it on your jetpack on your phone, you know, you can pull down and it'll reboot how many people have read. And it jumps in the hundreds of thousands by the minute. Every blog post after that is pretty much a disappointment. (laughs) So it was like, oh man, it was like, you know, you get, I don't want to use some weird number, but say a hundred reads on your blog and you're like, yeah. And then you go back to that and you're like, that day I had 750,000. It's just, it's a, it's an odd feeling. 
And then two, because I wasn't invested in becoming a writer, really, like years of pursuing it or anything. I didn't have anybody. I had no groups. I had no, I knew nothing about what I was doing. Nothing. And if it wasn't for Jesse, she actually said, I'm going to sign you. So this was like September 27th. I'm going to sign you, but you're at risk of being a one hit wonder. On the heels of this, I need you to start knocking out content, sign up for Write 31 Days. And so I signed up for it. I did not have a topic. I couldn't think of anything. And then I opened an email from a woman that said that the blog post was a mockery of Christianity, the open letter to my children, which it very may well have been, but it was just a rant. And she said, you'll burn in hell for the way that you spoke of that little girl who was, by the way, a metaphor, and just ranting and raving about how evil I was. And then she signed it, Your Sister in Christ. And I just, just in a flash went, oh, I'm going to write 31 days of stuff I wish you'd quit saying. And I just started knocking out all the things that people say that I think maybe they have the best of intentions or they're trying to cover themselves or any of those things. And I think day seven was stuff I wish you'd quit saying I've been up vomiting all night. And so it's called the vomit blog. And it instantly went to like 350,000 views. Because if, here's my disclaimer for my, you know, my life's work. If you've been vomiting all night, I don't want to see you. I don't want to be anywhere near you. Don't say that to me. So that was all it was. And then there was, stop saying you're praying for me really hard. And then there was some more serious stuff like, um, miscarriage stuff, you know, when stuff I wish you'd quit saying, when are you going to try again? And I think it just hit a chord with people as far as that stuff that you take and internalize and are hurt by, but maybe never just say out loud, hey, you know what, that's not okay. Stop saying stuff like that. And it was either offended or it was welcomed, you know, or they found it offensive or welcoming, but it spiraled from there. And I want to say that by March of 2016, I had a two book deal with Harvest House. Which is incredible. And yeah, I turned in Stolen Jesus, the final manuscript, on September 26th, which was one year from the day of the viral post in 2016. Which makes sense because anybody that's in this world knows that it takes a really long time to get a book published. But I'm so blown away by your story. I mean, first of all, it was kind of an overnight success. And you were talking about how every post after that was a disappointment. And that reminded me of a friend said once, that you never want to be on the top of the mountain because once you get to the top of the mountain, all you're trying to do is stay there and not fall off. Right. And so that totally resonated with me when you said that. But then I also wanted to talk a little bit or go a little bit deeper on this idea that you were just putting stuff out there and you were using your voice and you were using your humor and you got some critical comments along with some really great stuff. And some death threats. Did you really? Yes. And a Facebook page started about me and a fundraiser for Kylie, the character in the post, an open letter to my children, you're not that great, which she didn't exist and she didn't have cancer and she wasn't dying. It was just a metaphor for all the lunacy. There was actually, there was a child that had a name with a whole lot of letters, (laughs) but it was the lunacy going around on around me that prompted the post. But yeah, if you ever want some just entertainment, go read the comments. I think there's 780 comments on an open letter to my children. And some of them are just like, somebody sent me a letter, an email, and I started to read it. And then I was like, what in the world? And so I copied it and pasted it in a Word document to see how long it was. It was 9,000 words. And I was just like, man, you got to go wow. start your own blog. <laughs> Who has that much time to get mad over something some some chick said on her cell phone? Okay, so here's what I want to know, though, because you're right. I mean, that's ridiculous. That person should start their own blog or whatever. But how did you go on? I mean, I think for me, if I got a few things like that harsh or even a death threat, I'd be like, yep, you know, God shut that door. I am out. I'm not doing mm-hmm. this. I'm not pursuing this. And yet here we are. And your second book is coming out sooner. Well, by the time this airs, it will have just released. Mm-hmm. So how did you deal with that and move on? So the first night, it was nothing but cool. My dad and mom were in town. They were freaking out. They just kept refreshing my phone and the alerts were going off and I was getting interview requests and it was cool. 
The second night, I slept on the floor by the toilet. And I threw up until I couldn't throw up anymore. I cried all night long, and I swore I was done, even though Jesse was sending over a contract to sign me. And then really and truly, I would say the main reason that I continued was because of Jesse. She had ideas. She was able to talk me off the ledge. She was kind, but you know, firm as far as this is what you got to do next. This is what you got to do next. It won't be easy, but here's what we're going to do. And I think that this is the other thing. I had other agents that were interested in me after the fact, after it had gone on for a while and they saw my numbers increasing and stuff like that. Jesse was like, I'm in now let's do this. And it was so affirming to me. And she's just, she's just a good person. She's grown to be one of my dearest friends, but she, she knew exactly how to, I, I want to say handle me, but that sounds kind of like I'm a diva and I swear I'm not, but she just, you know, I would get something that hurt my feelings or something like that. She'd go, why did you read that? <laughs> Stop reading the comments. I'll read the comments or, you know, just let it go. And she just, I think that she was just a godsend. That's all there is to it. Well, we love Jessie at Declare. She has been part of Declare for gosh, forever. And uh, so we're big fans too. And I will actually go ahead and put a link on our show notes to her website so people can go check her out too, because that does sound kind of remarkable. Because I think what you really need is somebody who believes in you and what you're doing over Mm -hmm. something like how big is your platform? Yeah. She's a good sounding board. I mean, I'll, I'll send her something and say, what do you think of this? And she'll instantly call and go, oh, girl, don't even, <laughs> or she'll go, that's brilliant, or, you know, whatever. But and I think too, the other thing with Jessie is because she, she's a mother of triplets, and we both have an autoimmune disease. And I mean, we're in our suburbans planning our next big book launch or whatever. And there just was so much camaraderie with her. She understood me. It wasn't like, I don't know, it just felt right. And it still does. Well, let me talk to you then a little bit about the fact that you were kind of an accidental author. You hadn't really gone to Christian conferences. You weren't building a platform. You didn't, you know, you weren't into networking and collecting business cards and taking online classes about how to write a book proposal. I mean, you weren't doing any of that. You had Jesse. So I have two questions. The first one is, given all those threats and, you know, Jesse talking you down off the ledge, how did you stay true to your own voice? Because it would be very tempting, I think, to change how you're doing that in order to control the opinion of a critic. But then also, what was it like? I mean, you didn't have a tribe of women that were encouraging you. You had Jesse. So how did that work? I had a handful of people that jumped on board when I went viral. One of them is Lorraine Reap, and she blogs at Grace and Graffiti. She loved everything I wrote. She shared everything I wrote. She would email me and just say, this is what we've all been waiting to hear. It's like nothing I've ever heard. Uh, This is a side note. I am terribly dyslexic and ADHD, terribly, like barely graduated from high school. And I did go on to get my master's degree, but I am not, and this is like, I know like bad words in the writer community. I'm not a big reader. And so at the time, like I hadn't read anything by Jen Hatmaker and people would email me and go, oh my gosh, you need to meet Jen Hatmaker. You need to connect with her. You know, I had people saying that, but as soon as that happened, I was even more careful about what I, cause I listened to books on, on audio, but I was even more careful because I didn't want to be anybody else. I'd never really liked who I was. Um, I'd been alone or left out in a lot of situations. We moved a lot when I was young. And for the first time, I was being actually who, just myself, alone with my computer. And the response was genuine. And I thought, maybe that's what I've been trying to be everybody else for so long. I've been trying to fit in for so long. And here behind my computer, I'll just be Jamie and see what happens. And yeah, there were some people that didn't like it, but there was a lot of people that went, oh yeah, that's me too. And that kind of fueled that fire. But I would say that once that tribe started building, I cherished it and I'm protective of it still at a whole different level. I mean, I see this thing where you like, you know, you can add followers and I'm like, who are they? What do they believe? What do they care about? Why would you want to do that when you could have genuine readers that not only care about what you're saying, but have a sense of 
identity with you and what you believe. It was so precious. And that seems like a cheesy word coming from me, but that's the only word for it. I mean, it it really is the only word for it. And then the people that kind of came and went that maybe wanted to tag along to see if they could go viral and then faded into the shadows were long forgotten by the people who stayed and were genuine cheerleaders. And that's definitely for me as I've, I hate to say, I don't, can't think of another word. So accumulated this band of writer friends. Those are the people that I can't wait to share what they're doing and not just benefit from them, but them benefit from me. I mean, it just, you know, and I am actually always fascinated by this in Christian writing and I've seen it quite a bit and, and I've been asked about it before because I like to share my writer friend stuff, but I think the greatest gift in sharing that is that you're sharing the gospel. For instance, my story is one way, but I have a writer friend that her son killed himself and that's her ministry. And I'll share anything that she writes because I can't testify to that. And I know that there's people that need that. And so if we're not generous with each other, and that's where I think I've gained the greatest friendships is in that generosity of going, look what she did, look what she's writing about, look what she's saying. That to me is the most important role as a Christian author is to encourage other writers who have a message that people need to hear instead of trying to hide it under a bushel or looking at comparatives or going, their book did better than my book. And I'm not saying that that hasn't happened. I've had that twinge of, oh, they got the orange ribbon on their book on Amazon. And I love the orange ribbon. Who doesn't want the orange (laughs) ribbon? But at the same time, if they're sharing the gospel, then why would I try and ever try and stop that from happening? You know, so that's one of my favorite things about now being around other writers is watching them succeed and their message reach the people that need it. I love that you said that because I agree with you. It's all about encouraging our friends and other writers and sharing their work and helping make other people successful. And, you know, who can't identify with that idea of, I want the orange ribbon or I want Mm -hmm. that bestseller designation. And I mean, I think instead of feeling envious that somebody else got it, maybe we recognize that in ourselves and say, you know what, I'm going to use that feeling to propel me to keep doing what I'm doing. Because eventually, maybe that will be me. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, so instead of seeing it as competition, seeing it as motivation. Yeah. And motivation. And I think it's even fair to say, which I don't hear many people say, I may be the first one. But I think I said it to Katie when she got her orange room and I went, oh my gosh, I'm so jealous. But I meant it like, I love that you have it. But then it was kind of out of the way. It was like, yeah, I had that feeling and I'll tell you anything and I'm jealous. Now I'm over it and let's celebrate the orange ribbon. I think that we get so guarded in our emotions as writers with other writers that there tends to be this feeling that is not genuine. And I don't think it's meant in a harmful way, but I've seen myself when I've been the most honest with my writer friends or they've been most honest with me and we're our real selves that those just strengthen that tie and encourage our words. And our if our words are about Jesus, who are we to hide them or not share our truths about ourselves and our shortcomings? Because that's how we, we become better too. So I guess now I'm thinking that sounds nutty, but it's kind of always been my driving force. I, I had it happen to me in the beginning a little bit, and I've had it happen since then a little bit. And it's my favorite gift to give another writer is to just go, you go, girl. Don't ask me to read anything, though, unless you can send it to me on audio. <laughs> on audio. <laughs> I, just, I remember getting my feelings hurt when I first was looking for endorsers for Stolen Jesus. And people would be like, eh, sorry, I can't. And then I was like, well, that hurts my feelings. I'm being really nice. Da, 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 da. And then the endorsement, you know, people would email me and I was like, oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> there's no way I can do that and continue to function. So, I mean, I think that as writers, we just need to give each other grace and honesty. I think that being honest with each other is paramount in spreading a truthful message about who, who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. That's such a great way to look at it, because I think that a lot of times women, you know, in our profession feel like someone else's success equates to, I'm not doing it right, I'm failing in some way, 
or that someone else's success means that there's a little less piece of the pie available for, say, me. But that's not really true because I think the pie just keeps getting bigger, not that there's less of it. Well, and I'm not a good example because, like I said, I might only read one book, but most book readers read a variety of books. So it's not like they're going to read that one book. It's like with Katie's book. They weren't going to read Katie's book and then never read again. They're going to read a lot of books. And so telling people about these other messages and encouraging people to read these other messages, all those roads lead back to the other messages around you. And good books are what book readers are looking for. Good audiobooks are what audiobook listeners are looking for. And and I do think this is the sad part about it, is that we're talking about Jesus. We're writing about our Lord and Savior. And just the resounding gong, I'm going to have that song stuck in my head, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And I'm going to let my other fellow authors shine because their words might bring healing and eternity to a reader. And so I feel a responsibility in being able to encourage other authors in that way, not just for them, but for the people that would pick up their book and possibly be set free. Well, and I think that what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I mean, absolutely. It's sharing the gospel and people read a variety of things. And, you know, somebody reads a book, but they also read a blog and they also read a magazine. They also read an ebook, whatever it is. So I I definitely think that sharing each other's work is so important. But I think that maybe a side benefit of that is that when you're sharing other people's work and they're feeling good about their relationship with you, they're more willing to share your work. Yeah, definitely. Or at least read it. I mean, you know, at I mean, least, seriously, yeah. yeah. Actually, Jen Hatmaker said this to me recently. You know, there's plenty of people. There's plenty of readers. And if this is God's message, he's got plenty of space for it. But I found this most interesting, especially because you and I are in Texas. So I was at a spa retreat that I went to to work on my book, and um, it was just outside of town. And there were 25 other women there that we just kind of would interact with in the Houston area. And I had just been on Jen Hatmaker's podcast, and they were asking me about what I did and everything. And I said that, and like eight or nine of them went, oh, I don't listen to podcasts. And then a few of them went, no, I don't read anything Christian. I only like fiction. And I was like, I seriously didn't think you could throw a stone and not hit somebody that would know. They had no idea who I was. (laughs) They all ended up ordering my book. They all ended up ordering a couple of my, well, Katie, I told them about Katie's book. I told them about Chantel Brewer's book. I told them about Carrie Scott's book. I told them about one of Jen's books. And then they listened to the podcast. But I was thinking we get so caught up in our group of what we know to be truth. And there's a world of people out there that, haven't heard this message, my message, my friend's message, the message. And what a great opportunity if we're not sharing it, if we're not encouraging the authors around us and the speakers around us and sharing this good news, it's just us reading each other's stuff. So I think, I feel like it's important. I feel like it's very important to encourage, especially in the Christian community, us to encourage our sisters that are writing about this good news. I feel like we're having church right here on the podcast. (laughs) And that's just so, so brilliant and so encouraging and such a beautiful way to look at it. You know, it made me think my daughter has uh, one of her best friends is a dancer and got invited to be on a specific dance team that very few people get to be on. And she came over, she was telling us about it. And she said, I am so excited to be the worst one in the room. And I thought... (laughs) That's the strangest thing I've ever heard anyone say. And she said, no, really, because I want to keep growing. I want to keep getting better. And I want to learn from these women who have gone before me. And so I'm just, I'm excited to, you know, have that opportunity to start where I am here. And then when I'm done, look back to see how far I've come. And I feel like that's part of the thing when you are encouraging other women, you know, You're learning from them. You're promoting them. They're promoting you. And it's all just this big community. And you're just all doing it together. And it's such a beautiful thing. Oh, yeah. I think so, too. And I I think also there's this mentality 
in general, a Western mentality of hurry up and succeed. And I even look at the first draft of Sacred Ground Sticky Floors, and that message was a message of bondage. It was about all the ways to earn the cross, to earn, to get it done, to make sure your kids are perfect. And when I went to the first meeting with Harvest House, they flew me to Oregon and we met to talk about Stolen Jesus and Sacred Ground Sticky Floors. Of course, because it was my brand, they wanted to do Sacred Ground Sticky Floors first. And I just flat out said, my kid's a delinquent. We're about to lose this foster placement. We don't know if we're going to get to keep it. My life's a mess. My butt is big. I just can't write this book yet. Let me figure out how to parent the best so that it has a good ending. And they were like, okay. And then thank you, Jesus. That never happened. (laughs) But because it never happened, because I don't think you ever cross the finish line in parenting or womanhood. Right. This book is so dear to me. The new book, Sacred Ground Sticky Floors, is so dear to me because it's just my most transparent real self of admitting these people are wholly a part of me and completely apart from me. And they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm their mother, but there's so much more to it. And I didn't know any of that. And so, you know, that hurry up and get it done, get it published, get it out there. Maybe it's just not time because maybe he has something so much grander to show you. And please know whoever's listening to this. I understand that this was in a two-year span, but still, in that those two years, I am a completely different believer. I don't just believe in him. I believe him. And that is in my books. And I know there's people out there. I think even maybe even Beth Moore said one time that she read one of her very first books and she was like, and all I can say is I'm sorry. Because <laughs> she grew up in it with this whole process of, of writing books and being exposed and then having to go back. And for me... I know there'll be stuff that I I change and grow in, but it's been quick enough. And what God had in store for me in that process of writing and revealing myself has been the revelation of who he really is. And so for that, I'm grateful. That's such a great way to look at it. It reminds me of being at a conference once where Liz Curtis Higgs was the keynote speaker. And she started out her conversation or her talk by mentioning that her first book that she had ever written was going to be taken out of print. And like everybody in the room was like, oh, and her reaction was, oh, no, no. When you've been doing this as long as me, like you can't wait for somebody to put that baby to bed. Like you, you do not want that nonsense coming out here anymore. Yeah, and so yeah. I love though, what you're talking about, how you've grown in the last two years. And that actually makes me want to talk a little bit about the book. So You didn't want to write that as your first book, and you went with Stolen Jesus instead, which I think is just such a brilliant book. But now, Sacred Ground Sticky Floors, which is also the title of your blog, is coming out, or when this goes out, it will already be out. Tell me about when you knew you were ready to write that book. Again, people throw tomatoes at me, but um, my total book writing process is usually nine days. I don't know why. I start it and I finish it and then I go back and other people read it and we do edits and stuff like that. But Okay. Can I just stop you for a second? Your whole process is nine days. Do you like leave the country? How do you do that? No, I just literally just vomit out these these scenarios. And then this is the thing about that too, is that, um, so Maggie, my oldest daughter and Christian, my son-in-law, after I finished Sacred Ground Sticky Floors this time, read it while they drove across country. And there was nothing in it that they didn't just absolutely love. So I turned it in with quite a bit of confidence and then it did have several changes that it had to go through, but it's <laughs> like a, it's almost, I hate to say it cause it, it, it's not even something I can teach or something. It's just like I get in this zone and that's the zone and it's like this download of blah, 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 blah. but I can only do that. I can do it for blog posts. That's why I love to blog. Cause it's like an hour and Shazam, but with a book, it's like a process. It just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And there you have it. Now with stolen Jesus, that's what happened. And I started, you know, fifth grade Jesus and then high school Jesus. And it just kept going and going and going. But then I got to the ark, which was Americanized Jesus. And I called my sister and I went, I got nothing. I don't know what to say next because I'm undone. I'm completely undone. I've undone all these lies about Jesus. And then I hit this spot and now what do I do? And she was just like, Oh my gosh, you have to come listen to this sermon I just listened to 
you have to come listen to this. And I went and listened to it and I went, oh, nothing. There's nothing left to do. This is the freedom of grace. I am whole and complete because of Jesus Christ. I finished the book within 72 hours, turned it in, and that was that. With this second book, with Sacred Ground Sticky Floors, I wrote that. I started it the morning after John left for infantry training in the Marines. And the day that we put our foster love joy baby that had been in our care for 18 months in her car seat. And she drove out of our lives forever. And I was a basket case. And I just wrote and wrote and wrote and all the things, all the hurts, all the triumphs, all the things just came pouring out in what ended up being just a symphony of the truth of who Jesus is in my journey as mother. And forever and ever, this is what, and I believed this when I signed the book deal. I got to get it right. And all the kids have to be all right. And everything has to be perfect. And then I'll be okay to say these truths about who Jesus is. But it was all about me. It was all about what I was trying to do. And in the midst of that, you know, over the course of the time since I signed it, we'd had to send Luke, our 18-year-old, away to military school to save him from himself. He was completely out of control. We were about to lose Charlie, who'd been with us forever. And then we got Joy Baby. And it just, there was all this drama And in the midst of it, he revealed himself to me, and it was the true message of, you were daughter long before you were mother, and you will be daughter long after you are mother. (laughs) I was his holy, and my salvation and how he felt about me had nothing to do with how he felt about my children as individuals or their struggles. Yes, I raised them, and love protects, and it does all those things, but I was still daughter, and I was undone by that. I struggled for so long, and especially when Luke was just at rock bottom. It was every indication of who I was as a mother. And the reality of it was he was in so much trouble and in such a bad place and kind of had come that way. I had miscarried his his twin right at the beginning of my second trimester. He was born with a broken collarbone. He had sensory disorders. He had all of these things, and we just struggled so much with him. And it didn't matter that John and Maggie were easy peasy. And it didn't matter that he was basically born playing the piano by ear. I counted Luke's struggles as my failures and how Jesus saw me. And it's tragic, but I know so many women that their child's struggling in school or socially or with a diagnosis that's very heavy. And it it totally shatters them in their idea of what it looks like to be successful as a mother or successful as a daughter of our God. I love what you're talking about, but I do feel like, you know, I've been around this world for a while now, and a lot of the advice that I've heard from experts is that you want to wait to write until you are on the other side of the healing process. But it sounds like you were writing from kind of an emotional place and putting it out there. I mean, can you talk about that a little bit? Well, probably the the reason that that happens is because I didn't ever hear that advice. <laughs> We're right, to true. <laughs> you know, that's how I, I think in our motherhood, don't we evolve from that place where we come home with this newborn baby and six books on how to do it just right? I find that to be totally true of writing. I am undone when I'm writing. I figure myself out when I'm writing. I write stuff and I'll go back and look at it and go, what? And then I'm like, I said that? (laughs) (laughs) I've done that. I know what you mean. (laughs) When I got my edits back for Sacred Ground Sticky Floors, there was a highlighted area next to one point where uh, Kathleen said, this is the most brilliant thing you ever wrote. And I went, "Mm, that probably should have been a quote. (laughs) So I started Googling it. And sure enough, I wrote it. (laughs) It's nowhere else in the world. And I went back and looked at my notes and I had, but it's just, I think you kind of get on that. Just spill in your guts. I think that that's, I mean, you can't make everybody into a writer, but gosh, I swear if more people would do it, they would learn so much about themselves. Oh yeah. It's so cathartic and it's such a good (laughs) place to hear from the spirit. And whenever that happens, I always feel like when I look back on something I've written and I'm like, I wrote that? Holy cow, that's Mm -hmm. so good. Which sounds not humble, but no, I always think I was possessed by the Holy Spirit in that moment. Like, I don't even oh, gotcha. remember writing that. That was 
wow. Yeah. I can't say that maybe you should wait to be on the other side of it. I can say, I mean, I guess they did title my book, How to Raise Great Kids or something like that. And they, they kept Sacred Ground, Sticky Flourish, but the subtitle. And I this came to me recently when I was talking about it. This isn't a how-to book. This is a how-he book. How he restored, how he saved, how he showed me all the things that were true of me in his eyes. And I don't think I'd want it any other way. I don't ever want to be somebody, you know, that's giving parenting advice, basically, because I know the truth of who I am. But I think when you're willing to admit, this is my struggle, the resounding gong is usually, oh my gosh, me too. Somebody hears me. Somebody understands me. And for those of us that write, I think we uncover that about ourselves. But for those of us that don't and that are reading these things, to finally have somebody that can go, oh my gosh, that's me. I felt that and I thought it was wrong or I thought I was in trouble or my kid did that and I thought it was wrong or I thought I was in trouble is in the process of me unraveling the truth about how he felt about me. I knew that it was going to be a message that set people free and I'm honored by that and slightly humiliated, but still, you know. (laughs) (laughs) See, you say all this profound stuff and I'm sitting here like feeling all moved and I start to choke up a little and I'm like, just drink it in for hours. And then you say something like that. And I'm like, I just find myself laughing. No, that is my favorite. Like, that's just my favorite thing. I mean, first, humor is my love language. I mean, you own me if you can make me laugh. But I love your combination of humor and just how profound you are and how in touch with God you are and just what a servant you are for the women that you write for. It's just such a beautiful thing to see. Well, I have never been more connected with the female species as I have been as a writer, because honestly, I'd never fit in as a young person ever. And even as an adult, I remember there was a woman in her play group that was just really tiny, itty bitty petite. And I'm tall, I'm 5'10 and busty and hippie and big hair, big teeth, big voice. And um, Okay, just for anybody who hasn't seen your picture yet, she's freaking gorgeous. I'm just putting that out there. Well, well <laughs> she just, this woman hated me. And I said to my friend, I was like, what do you suppose I did to her that is so offensive? And she goes, well, I'm sure that she's just feels threatened and afraid by your size. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, like, how am I approaching this conversation? Like, a you know, <laughs> and I just, I just remember thinking, am I ever going to fit? Am I ever going to be able to just be myself and be real and not worry about what I look like or talk like or intimidating petite women in play groups? You know, am I ever going to be that person? And I am that person as a writer, but I, in all truthfulness. It's because I, behind my computer, it's just my heart and head. And I've found that to be a, a likable place for women on the other side of that too. And and I know that we call it platform. <laughs> I hate that word because it, these are human beings and they're invested in our words and our lives and our Jesus. And it's such a delight to me. It's such a place of It's just a sanctuary of acceptance. And even if it's not acceptance, all you have to do is block them. And, you know, it's like a, I hate to even say, it's almost like this cult of like-minded, even not completely like-minded, but there's just this peaceable place when you find people that you have something in common with that are shouting the me too, me too. That's my struggle. That's my kid's struggle. That's my hurt. That's my fear. That echo off the walls is a confirmation of sorts that I'm okay when I've never felt okay. Okay. I could literally talk to you for hours and I'm going to have to, (laughs) but a couple of things. First of all, you belong here and I am thrilled that you are here. I know that the Declare community is just going to wrap their arms around you and we need to see and hear more of you. I also want to mention that you have the most killer book trailer (laughs) that is kind of like a cliffhanger. And I showed it to my uh, husband and my son and they're both dying to know what happens. So I just want everybody to go find the book trailer because it's worth it. And then I also obviously want everybody to read the book. I think that it's going to be huge. I think that you are wonderful. 
I'm going to put all the links today that we talked about in the show notes, but I did want to mention too, that we've talked about Katie a couple of times, but I don't think that we said, yes, I'm sorry. No, it's Katie Reed. And she's the author of made like Martha, which came out just a couple of months ago. And it is also just really a phenomenal book, totally different from you and the way that you write, but so great. It's so she was editing stolen Jesus for me. And when I fell into the arms of grace, I called her and I went, okay, get ready. And it's just, it's outstanding to have been on that journey with her. So I say Katie, like she's in my pocket or something, but she's my little friend. (laughs) I just love Katie. Well, I just think it's so inspiring. You know, when you do have those women, like you mentioned, that are just your people and they're the ones that get it and they get you. And I just can't think of anything more life-giving for writers than to have those women that just build you up and they let you cry and they let you be yourself and they laugh at your jokes and (laughs) they don't care if you're, you know, looking at them, you know, on a FaceTime message and you're not wearing any makeup. Like they're just the best. They're the best. They are. They are very good. Well, Jamie, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today. It has been Gosh, such a joy. I feel so fired up. Honestly, I feel so fired up and so inspired. I think I'm going to have to like go start writing and just like, (laughs) you know, word vomiting on my pages because (laughs) I just feel like I can after talking to you. And gosh, what a gift that is. And what a gift that is, I think, to our community. And I just am so grateful. I am just a fan and we're going to be best friends now for forever. Okay. (laughs) All right, good. Good. Well, I wish you the best of luck as you're launching this new book and uh, we will be in touch. So, Well, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on and Jesus be all over you and I'll talk to you soon. Y'all, I've decided that Jamie and I should be best friends. How about you? All the links to everything that we talked about are in the show notes today, including the links for several of the friends that she mentioned. I hope that you will be inspired like me to start promoting the work of the people that you admire too. I mean, what a beautiful way to spread the message of Jesus, right? Did you love this episode or another one? Let us know. Mention your favorites when you leave a review for the podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Another huge thank you to Winton and Waits for sponsoring this episode. Check out what they're doing and how you can get involved on their website. We always hope that every episode of the Declare podcast inspires and encourages you. Thank you so much for always listening, and we will see you next time on the Declare podcast.